Hey friends, man, do I have a treat for you today. Today, I am so excited to have a special, special guest on the Autoimmune Revolution podcast. Her name is Rachel Bailey. Rachel is a parenting specialist. She has served families for over a decade. She is the mother of two, but she is also a, uh, has a master's degree in clinical psychology, a certification in positive di- discipline, and has served as an ADHD coach, an in-home mentor, and therapist. Currently, Rachel teaches parents hands-on tools for raising responsible, resilient, and confident children, and she helps parents to find the time and energy to incorporate these tools into their life. I cannot tell you what a lifesaver Rachel has been. In this episode, we're talking about Rachel's concept of yuck, which is anything that causes discomfort and how it impacts you, the yuck, how it impacts you negatively and how that's not your fault, and how to outsmart that reaction in your brain. Welcome to the Autoimmune Revolution Podcast with functional and integrative nurse nutritionist and energy medicine practitioner, Audrey Christie. Welcome. If this is your first time listening, I'm Audrey Christie. I'm a functional and integrative nurse nutritionist and energy medicine practitioner. I help women start their very own autoimmune revolution so you can stop chasing symptoms and learn how to become the healer in your home and the healer in your human suit, ultimately, so you can heal your body from autoimmune disease. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to introduce you to the autoimmune revolution audience. Um, so I just, I have to go straight off the cuff. Your concept of yuck. I originally heard you on the Ali Kazaza podcast. I think it's called the purpose show. And I actually have already mentioned this to most of my listeners already that I binge listened to all of the episodes on like a two and a half, three hour car ride home um, from picking up my kiddos from my parents' house. And I, I mean, it was just like aha moment after aha moment. And one thing that I thought would really, really resonate with this audience of people who are suffering with chronic illness and pain and autoimmune disease is your concept of yuck and how it applies to parenting. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and have the opportunity to, to speak with your audience. So I can explain this concept of yuck pretty simply, and it really is such a simple concept, but really powerful when you know it. Now, when, when people start to understand this concept of yuck, you start to see it everywhere. So the basic idea is that when human beings are in a good place, we can act positively. You know, when we are well rested, when maybe we've had a good conversation with a friend or things are just going well, we can be calm and patient. We can really be the parent and the person we want to be. But when we are in a place that I call yuck, and yuck is a blanket term I use to describe anything uncomfortable. So maybe we are feeling disappointed or frustrated. Maybe we're physically exhausted. You know, if we, if we have a chronic illness and we're just so tired of everything going on, it could be, you know, anything that causes discomfort. I call that yuck. And when human beings are in a place of yuck, we do not act positively. And we do not really act in line with our values. And the reason this is true is because there is a part of the brain that allows us to be mature and responsible and act in line with our values. It's called the prefrontal cortex. But when we are in a place of yuck or discomfort, our brain senses that discomfort as a threat and an alarm turns on and that alarm is our fight or flight response. And our fight or flight response actually shuts down the prefrontal cortex or that mature responsible part of the brain. So what that translates to very simply is when we're not in a good place, 
we don't act positively and then often we feel bad for not acting positively and this vicious cycle is created. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it makes sense because once you kind of understand that, you can see that everywhere. So when people are chronically not rested, not feeling well, how can we outsmart that prefrontal cortex reaction or can we? Yeah, we absolutely can by making plans ahead of time. Um, we can also, if, if you're thinking about it in terms of a relationship with a child, I have another strategy as well, but really the way we outsmart yuck is recognizing that when we're actually in yuck, we respond from this place of negativity. And we usually tend to what I do, either turning yuck out. So we're, we're feeling exhausted and maybe we're yelling at our kids or we're being mean to our spouse or a friend that's yuck turned out. We may also turn our yuck in on ourselves, by the way, yuck turned in is where we are feeling anxious or worried or like we have no control. Um, there are other things we do with yuck too, but that's ultimately when you are having some sort of negative behavior, you are in yuck. And once we're in fight or flight, it's really hard to deal with it. But if we say proactively, I know there are certain situations that trigger me where I'm more likely to behave in the ways that I regret and make a plan ahead of time for how to handle those situations. We can outsmart our fight or flight response because we've come up with a plan earlier, proactively from our prefrontal cortex. And all we do in the moment is simply act. You know, when we, when we just react, we do things we regret. But when we have a plan and we follow our plan, it's much easier to outsmart the fight or flight response. Ah, that makes perfect sense. It's kind of like what Stephen Covey said about, you know, being proactive, right? That's just proactively knowing that this is going to be a trigger for you and then taking the steps to mitigate that in advance, right? So that you exactly. have a tool. Just coming up, exactly. Just that very simply, you can fill in this sentence. When blank, and that first blank is the trigger, when blank, I will blank. When blank, I will blank. So when my child asks for me to play um, and I'm exhausted, I will say, let's play later, whatever, whatever plan you want to make up. But when blank, I will blank. And if you come up with this plan ahead of time, it is so much more likely to align with your values. And then you just do it in the moment. That's all you have to do. You don't have to think, right. you just do the plan. Right. And so you mentioned two things that I found interesting there. One, yuck turned in, come, becomes stress and anxiety and all those things. And that's one of the things we talk about a lot being a trigger is that it's not just you know, I always say that, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, for example, is not just a disease of the joints, right? There's many more root causes to it than that, including stress and anxiety, yuck turned inward, as you would say. Um, so I thought I found that very interesting. And then the second part you mentioned there is, is it a different plan for kids when kids are stuck in yuck? So if we find that we are constantly yelling at our kids or putting them off or whatever we're doing that makes us feel bad, one of the things I do with parents, I, I work with a lot of parents with guilt. That's almost every single parent I work with has some sort of guilt. So I introduced this concept of withdrawals and deposits. And the truth is that this is sort of like a bank account. With a bank account, you can make withdrawals and you can make deposits. And as parents, we are going to make a lot of withdrawals. And we focus so much on withdrawals. And I can give you specific examples of what that means. But we focus so much on the withdrawals. Whereas in reality, one of my areas of clinical expertise is in resilience. I, I study resilience. In reality, withdrawals are required for children in order to be resilient. So we don't have to feel bad about those withdrawals. Just like with a bank account, you do make withdrawals. You just also make deposits. And if you have more deposits than withdrawals, then everything is actually, not only is it going to be fine, but again, kids need those withdrawals. They need to know we're not always going to be able to give them what they want when they want it. That's fine as long as we're making the deposits. And so the good thing about deposits, I will emphasize, and I'll tell you what they look like. 
deposits are into needs, not wants. So I'm not saying that if you haven't, if you're not playing with your child, buy them something. That's a deposit into a want. Deposits into needs, they're actually five emotional needs. Um, and it could be something as simple as uh, when they get upset, letting them know you hear them. Just saying, you know what, you got really upset with your brother because he took something from you and you didn't want him to take that. That is an example of a deposit. Deposits take usually the way I define them a minute or less, and you can do them on your own time and in a way that works for you. And that's what I teach a lot of parents is how to make a deposit in a way that works for you and your child that does not take much time or energy. So that's really, yeah, what I was saying is if it's, if you're worried about your interactions with your child, you don't have to worry so much about the withdrawals, just be conscious about making deposits. Okay. And so what, so withdrawals would be considered things like mom doesn't want to play right now or. So withdrawals are anything that really, um, it's really, I'm focusing on those five emotional needs. So let me tell you what they are and then I'll give you a more general uh, definition, but the five emotional needs all humans have are connection significance, capability, control, and security. So clinically, a withdrawal is anything we do that, that, that you know, takes away from their sense of connection or significance or capability. But generally, if we don't want to think all clinical, it's where we do something that really has an impact on how they see themselves or our relationship. So yeah, okay. saying, I don't want to be with you, or even saying, why did you do that? That's a withdrawal. When we, though, later really make these deposits, again, where it could be a, another example of a deposit, and I literally have lists of like hundreds of deposits, but another example of a deposit that's really simple is to ask your child to teach you something that they're good at, um, or ask them to even tell you about something they're good at. Let's say they love video games. And I actually say it's even a better deposit if you're not interested in what they're telling you about, and you ask them anyway. Because you're basically saying, no, I don't care about the video game. But child, I care about you enough to ask you about the video game. That's a huge deposit. So yeah. just take, you know, one, one minute a day and say, hey, what level are you on in your video game and how did you get there? And just listen. Huge deposit. Okay. I like that because I feel like it, so much of the parenting um, stuff out there is geared, I feel like, towards, and, and I consumed it my entire mother <laughs> parenting um, <laughs> career here, but it, it feels like it's really geared towards smaller kids. Hmm. Um, and I feel like primarily, at least the people that I talk to are people with kids who are eight, 10, 12, 13. And yeah. that's where we're starting to struggle with, um, yeah. interacting with our kids and the video games. That is a winner. <laughs> like, For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and I feel like it's something that we're often like, Oh my gosh, are you playing a video game again? Or we're taking away from them. So I can see how uh, that perception for a kiddo is probably like, okay, mom really does not like these video games. And it would kind of flip it on its end to ask about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was a therapist before I started working with parents. I was a therapist for adolescents and teenagers. So Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of what I do teach helps with the older years as well. And it's just more realistic with older years. We'll be back after a quick break. The healthiest food you can eat is the food you grow yourself. And on the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, we tell you how to grow that healthy food as well as beautiful flowers. Plus, we tell you the things the nurseries don't want you to know. There are no scientifically based studies that show that kelp meal or seaweed have any desirable effects on plants. And we answer your garden questions. Well, at least we try to. I have some nandinas that spread. How can I kill them? You can't. Just move. Oh, that's, that's, that's the only way. 
It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. It's out every Tuesday and Friday. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that you talk about um, and a lot of the things that I that really drew me into your stuff was kids with big emotions. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have a kid with big emotions. Uh, do you? Okay. I and always I think say I saw... that it's about 80% of families that truly do have a kid of a child with big emotions, at least one. Yeah. Yeah. Very I common. have two. One is the complete opposite of big emotions. Like you have to really, we bought her a horse and she was like, thanks. You know, <laughs> like, all yeah. she talked about was how she had to have this source and she rides competitively. And so we finally got her own. She was like, cool. Oh <laughs> my like, gosh. Huh. Yes. Whereas the other one is the polar opposite. I mean, she's just like on a roller coaster all the time. Right. And so um, one of the things that, that really struck me was your kind of broad tips for dealing with a child with big emotions. Because if you take a child with big emotions and then you add on to that a mom who is fatigued, who's low energy, who's in chronic pain, then it, it kind of feels like just a bomb waiting to go off um, for both, you know, the guilt for the parent and then whatever emotional distress is happening for the kiddo as well. Yeah. So what's kind of your biggest, and I know it's a broad question, but like your biggest go-to strategy for kind of bringing that emotion down a level or, or helping the child get through it. You know, they say emotions last 90 seconds. Um, when you have a kid with big emotions, it feels like, Oh, it's usually longer than 90 seconds. Like we've got some things that happened 90 days ago that we're still talking about, you know? So So I'm going to give you two tips. I love that question. And yeah, I I specialize in working with families with kids with big emotions. I have one. I actually am also a sensitive person myself, so I get it. Um, And yeah, being a sensitive person, raising a sensitive big emotion child is something. I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to that. Um, But I will, I will give you two tips. One is how to handle it in the moment. And then the the second is probably the biggest advice I can give to parents who are raising big emotions. But the first piece, more practically, what do you do in that moment? So we talked about the concept of yuck. And what happens in the moment is when a child is in yuck, and a sensitive child can be in yuck for the smallest things. You know, you told them they couldn't, you know, go to their friend's house, even though they already knew they couldn't go to their friend's house, and you get this big reaction. But when they are in yuck, yuck basically follows a rainbow shaped curve. So when they first realize you're saying no, they're disappointed, they're frustrated. But when they realize you're not giving in, their frustration or their big emotion gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It eventually reaches a peak and it comes down. So just imagine a rainbow. And what you need to know as a parent is that when they are on that rainbow shaped curve, nothing you do is going to work to bring them down. Nothing. They are in their fight or flight response. And there's very little that you can do in that moment. There's a lot we can do to make it worse because basically what's happening when they're on that curve is they're in fight or flight. Their brain is like scanning the environment to say, is it safe out there? Can I get out of my fight or flight response? They're not hearing our words because the language part of the brain is actually shut down. They're sensing our energy. So there's not much you can say to make it better. There's not much you can do to make it better. The best thing you can do, very honestly, is to regulate yourself. Because when you are calm and when you can handle it, they actually sense that as safe. And then they will travel the curve. That's the phrase I use, traveling the curve. They will travel the curve more more quickly. So ultimately, what I coach parents to do is when your child is having a big emotion, instead of focusing on them, focus on yourself. Focus on regulating yourself. And honestly, just even saying out loud, if you need to, I'm really frustrated. I need to take some deep breaths. 
is modeling that behavior. I'm not saying that's going to get your child to take deep breaths. Like I said, nothing works, but it's so much more effective for you to regulate yourself than to try to regulate them very honestly. Beautiful. So that's the, that's the first more practical tip. And I could even go more into that if you want to, but the bigger takeaway, and I wish every parent had this type of training and I will give it to as many parents as I can is to stop seeing their big emotions as catastrophic. Because what we do is, and this is, if I could help everybody do this, I've had to learn how to do this. This does not come naturally to me at all. I tend to get sucked into my kids' emotions. But when we can see, yeah, you too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we see that emotions are not the end of the world, when we recognize that they are simply a release of the feelings they're having, they're frustrated, they're disappointed, and all they're doing is releasing those feelings. They will travel the curve. It will be over. And when we stop seeing that as such a huge threat, it's because we see it as a threat. We go into yuck and the situation becomes worse. When we realize, hey, they're going to travel the curve. It's not the end of the world. Everything is better. We feel liberated. When I can remember that, it is so powerful to stop getting sucked into that and realize this is totally normal. It's not the end of the world. And then they actually calm down more quickly. It's when we nice. say, oh, I need to make this stop. I need it to end. I need this to go away that's when everything gets worse. When we can say, hey, they're, they're having an emotion, not a big deal. One of the mantras I tell myself is, your emotions don't control my emotions. Oh, okay. so I don't remind myself, I will get sucked in. But our job yeah. as parents is to not get sucked in because very honestly, if we want our kids to learn that they can handle their emotions, we need to show them that we can handle their emotions. Right. And we also need to show them that we can handle our emotions. Right. We're basically asking to do something that we can't even do. So the biggest really advice I have for parents of kids with big emotions is to really shift your mindset that it is not a catastrophe. It is their way of releasing their yuck and it's healthy. And, and when we start to see it differently, it just makes the entire energy in the household different. We're no longer walking on eggshells, which a lot of parents of big emotions are walking mm -hmm. on those eggshells. You don't have to do that anymore. Beautiful. Yeah. I, like that. I like that. I like that. And I like your emotions aren't my emotions. Um, and it's interesting how as an adult, it's easy for me if you were in yuck to, uh, to another adult, even to a spouse or, you know, my own sibling to be like, that's yours, not mine. You know, your emotions aren't my emotions. But it's also very easy on the flip side of that to just get kind of wound up in it with kids, even if you, you know, and I don't, I'm not quite sure what, why the difference is, you know, I feel like, you know, I've pretty uh, sound when it comes to, you know, other people's emotions and not getting sucked in. But like I said, with kiddos, sometimes it's really, really difficult. It is um, because number one, we're wired to worry about our kids and take care of them. So it's like, that's a sign that there's a struggle. So we're like, ah, danger. And our brain goes into yuck. But number two, I also think there's this whole feeling as parents that if our kids aren't doing well, we're bad parents. If my child's upset, I'm a bad parent. So then even more of a threat. And anytime our brain senses a threat, we go into yuck. Yeah. So what we really have to start to do is recognize the, the thoughts or what I call them stories we're telling ourselves about what our kids are doing. That it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. When we change our stories, our brain doesn't sense a threat and we yes. can stay calm. Ah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so I really appreciate your balance of what feels like really good just parenting and then really good clinical information. Um, and I'm by no means the parenting whiz, you know, the judge. That's what it feels like. It feels like that one friend that is 
you know, like you look at her and you're like, she's like a really good mom, you know, plus you have that clinical background as well. And um, that's kind of the approach that I take to the nutrition and medicine side of healing and autoimmune disease. And so I'm curious how you came to, um, came to that balance, you know, like how, how you landed here from my understanding is you started out in clinical psychology, right? Which yeah. feels like, in my limited experience with clinical psychologist feels like a long, a, a, there's like a gap between where that and where you are now. So totally. can you tell us about how you got there? Yeah, that's a great question. I love that. I actually was studying to become a neuropsychologist. That was my goal. And I ended up getting pregnant along the way. So I didn't become a neuropsychologist, but that was my goal. I've always been interested in the brain and behavior. Um, so it was a really clinical track that I was on. And um, I ended up, like I said, getting pregnant and at that time I was doing therapy and I, so because I hadn't become a, a neuropsychologist yet, that's what you do kind of in clinical psychology is you do therapy. And as I was doing therapy, that's when I was with adolescents and teens, I realized I was helping the adolescent and the teen. And not only were parents like asking me for parenting advice, but I also realized I was kind of putting the teens back in their houses and parents were so unintentionally doing things to make the situation worse. So, yeah. and, and kids can't thrive in a, in a home where parents are unintentionally doing things to make it worse. So I was like, okay, I need to help parents, but here's where the other piece comes in. I am not a natural parent. Like I, because I'm sensitive, I don't like loud noises. I don't like chaos. This is hard for me. So I, and people are like, I want to be the parent that you are. And I'm like, no, actually you don't put a video camera in my home. <laughs> Why do you think I teach so much about proactive strategies? Cause in the moment, I'm not the best parent. I know this about myself. I know I make withdrawals, which is why I teach about deposits. So the reason they blend together is because I was like, I need to help parents. I need to use my clinical expertise, but because I'm a real parent, I melded those together. And I was like, I'm just going to be real. Cause I know that if you, if you tell me to talk to my child like this, I won't be able to, that's just not who I am. So yeah. I, that's how I sort of blended the two together. And I, I am grateful that you said that you can see both of those pieces. Cause that is ultimately yeah. my goal. Yeah, absolutely. It's very practical, very actionable advice. And it doesn't, you know, I'm very much, if you give me a set of instructions, I will follow them to the T, um, to the, to the extent that people laugh at me and they'll say, now, Audrey, you don't, this is just a framework. You don't have yeah. to follow these to the letter, you know, yeah. but your, your information is very actionable and practical and practical in a way where I didn't, I wasn't reading or listening and going like that is so I can't see how to adapt that to make that even sound like that's my voice or my energy in any situation. Um, so I felt like it was very, very flexible. So, um, how there's so many things that I could dive into, but I don't want to keep the listeners this whole, this whole time. So I want to know what would be the next step. So how can they come hang out with you? How can they find you? Where can they do like I did and just go, you know, buy all the things <laughs> to, to help, especially in the current climate, you know, a lot of us are homeschooling or virtual schooling or doing some crazy halftime mixture of my kid can go today and then they can't go for two weeks. So like things Absolutely. are just hectic now. So I feel like people need help more than, more than ever. Um, Absolutely. I'm finding that as well. It's just, we feel so out of control and that's not a great feeling when you're a parent to feel out of control. So yeah, What's absolutely. That, so I have my yuck you're talking about, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. It it's keeps like us whole, in yuck all the time. <laughs> really? Do you remember when everyone was like buying toilet paper, like in droves? It was, yeah, the beginning of the pandemic, we felt out of control. We felt in yuck. So people are like, okay, I'm going to do what's in my control. I'm going to make sure my family has enough toilet paper. Like that's, <laughs> that's a yuck response right there. That's like yeah. what we do. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so I have my podcast, which is called Your Parenting Long Games. 
And then I also have a Facebook group associated with it called Your Parenting Long Game Podcast Community. And yes, I am in there doing live in there. training. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in there doing live trainings twice a week. So that's really um, the best way to be introduced to the content. I do have ways for people to more apply it to their own situation. So I just launched um, something specifically because parents are struggling so much right now called the Parenting Relief Kit which are made of 20 minute parenting relief plans because like who has more than 20 minutes? Um, and right. these are really, really actionable. Like if you are struggling with your sibling, with kids fighting or with your child, not getting off of their screens or like, what is that about? And what do I do about it? So right. it's these really, really practical sort of pinpoint this issue and fix it for me. And then I also have an ongoing parenting Academy, which is membership based. That's why I provide ongoing support. So that's where parents can find me. I can give you those links if you want me to. Beautiful. And we'll put those in the show notes for sure. Yeah. We'll put links to all the things. Um, and I will say, just as you, you mentioned sibling fighting for us, because we are together all the time right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a big thing. And I listened to your podcast on that. And this is why I ended up buying all the things. I listened to your podcast on that and I implemented one thing you said, uh, and it was about spending the one-on-one -on -one time yeah. with each kiddo because yeah. I felt like we were all together all the time. So if they're totally getting enough mom time, nope. One-on-one right. -on -one time and we do it five days a week on the calendar scheduled all the things and we're two weeks into that and probably an 80% reduction yeah. in just the general bickering. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it really makes a difference. And I talk a little bit when I give those tips about the science behind that. But yeah, it, mm -hmm. there's a there's a clinical reason that they need that alone time. And it doesn't even I give you props for doing it every day. It doesn't even have to be every day. If you can do it every day, oh my gosh, we're five days a week. That's awesome. We only do it in our family uh, once a week, and still oh. it makes a huge difference. So I have lots of hacks for yeah. alone time if you, with your kids if you don't have a lot of time. But yeah. maybe that'll be another episode. But that's why I bought the reducing. I'm like, I need the plan. Yeah. So I actually got the relief kit with the, like the full plan. So, yes, so, absolutely. Lots of tips yeah. in there. Yeah. So I don't share things with you guys, you know, talking to the audience. I don't share things that don't work. And let me tell you, this works and it oh. works fast. It's like your, your parenting gold mine of just oh, little tips, tricks, and hacks. Yeah. I love it. So we will let Rachel go. I'm sure you have a very busy day. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll fill in all the details on the show notes page with how they can find you and all the links. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Autoimmune Revolution podcast. Be sure and subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated.